pre-dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, pre-dropped. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello, folks. Happy Hello. Tuesday evening. Hello. Hello, Dylan. Hey, Sean. It's nice to be uh, podcasting from the same place. And that hum you can probably hear in the background is the uh, air conditioning, which is just blasting here in the media center at Los Angeles Country Club. The sun is shining. People are excited about this golf course. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't want to say all is harmonious because we'll get into that, Sean, but I think that people do seem keyed in on playing a U.S. Open this They're week. They're ready for a good week, right? A positive week. I think last week was a negative, weird week for like so many actors. Yeah. How many things happen in pro sports that are known by like four or five people? Yeah. And how many things that are known by that few many people are seismic shifts to the landscape of an entire pro sport. Uh, it doesn't happen. And so I think everyone here is showing a lot of um, camaraderie maybe in the sense that don't know much. Also, like no one here is is the PGA Tour, <laughs> right? Jay Monahan is somewhere else. This is a USGA, US Open, um, and everyone can just feel like there's a different approach this week. Yeah. And then, you know, all those issues, we'll we'll worry about them next week. That's how it kind of feels to me. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this on Sunday, but it really felt like last week, a lot of people came away looking stupid. And um, as a result, and we'll, you know, we'll get into this too, but people are really unwilling to say much. uh, They're afraid to sound more stupid. They are. Exactly. They don't want to put themselves in a position to get the rug pulled out from under them again. So, yeah, again, they're focusing on the fact this is a major, this is U.S. Open week. Uh, we have learned more, I would say, about what's going on with the PGA Tour, with Live, with the PIF. I want to run through that quickly, and then I want us yeah. to get into what we learned from today, and then I want us to pick a few players that have our attention. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, so... I obviously went to the event last week, yeah. and so I feel like I was always going to be ahead of you kind of on yeah. the realities that we're facing. You were on vacation, the literal opposite of what I was doing. And you know what? I'm glad you appreciated that time. So what do you feel like you know better now than you did uh, three or four days ago? I think I now have a vision or a general outline of what this deal is supposed to look like. And when I say supposed to, I mean, I have not talked to Yasir. I have not talked to uh, the Crown Prince. I don't know exactly what the Saudi vision is for it. I have not talked to to Greg Norman. All those guys have been <laughs> unavailable <haven't>? to me <laughs> so far. But I've been trying to do some wheeling and dealing and, and talk to uh, some people here to figure out basically just let me give you the, the high level part of it because I feel like there's been so much mixed, so much mixed messaging on this that uh, no one even knows like what this deal even means. Here's what I think the deal looks like and means. I think what is supposed to happen is the PGA Tour is given evaluation, and 
let's say that that is one trillion dollars. Hell yeah. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's probably, you know, let's say uh, 10 billion dollars yeah. or something. But yeah. if it's if it's 10 trillion dollars and then now the PIF <laughs> is going to simply buy up maybe 20 to 30 percent of that, they will be investors in the PGA Tour uh, or in this you know new enterprise. And, you know, if it works how people hope it will work on the PGA Tour side, then that will be, you know, not as simple as it is, but that sort of investment will be the main uh, role of the PIF of Yasir. And there is not actually a play happening from the Saudi side to buy golf, to own golf. This is considered enough yeah, to, to be have... involved in the change of golf, right? Yes. And, and and pushing forth the the pro level of the game. Um, and being in involved a, in the top level yeah. of the game, like being there. Uh, you know, there's a good ESPN article that Mark Schleybaugh wrote today, and and he cited, you know, Yasir wants to be under the tree at Augusta National, kind of shaking hands, and basically. Buying a seat at the table, I think, has already become something that people have been a little bit dismissive of. Like, oh, yeah, that's, seriously, that's all they want. But I don't think that that's a small deal. I think that that's a pretty big deal. Like, having a seat at this table means some level of legitimacy. Um, yeah, and it just means it's an entry point into all the things that pro golf is. And I think... Yasir was also a little bit, um, a little bit surprised by just probably how open the PGA Tour was to working together. I think he heard from enough people that maybe Live wasn't it, that maybe he's open to <laughs> something else. Did he heard else. from people about that? I do. I think maybe he, he talked saw to it some, with his own eyes. Well, yeah, but I think it's different when people say, "Hey, man." Look, I'm just telling you as a new pal and business partner. Yeah. I don't think this is it. So Liv's future seems really uncertain, especially in its current format. Um, definitely heard from some people that and you can just see it. I mean, you can see evidence of it. You can hear the way guys are talking about it. None of the live guys are here uh, crowing about some victory because I think that there is now this very clear sense that, hey, we're going to have to make nice here. We probably want to keep uh, we want to keep in good standing with the PGA Tour players because at some point there's potentially going to be a committee of tour pros deciding what the punishment is for guys to rejoin the PGA Tour. Yep. Maybe live last through next year. Maybe it takes on a different format. I'm not saying that that's impossible, um, but everyone wants to kind of make nice right now and. Uh, I guess going forward, I think it would be naive to completely ignore the idea that, yeah, this is just a play. This is some sort of Trojan horse situation from uh, from the Saudis, and eventually they're going to wrest board control of this new enterprise, and they yeah. truly will own PGA, like the PGA Tour uh, machine. But to hear people tell it there will be safeguards in place uh to prevent that from happening all Basically, people the, to screw with our podcast yeah, here we've got it's a couple just a couple Aussie Australians coming by here incredible 
ice cream cookie sandwich selection in the media center this week. Yeah. Which is just devastating because, uh, you know, <laughs> I think if there's a, for people that don't like the media, the easiest critique would be like just a complete inability to turn down sweets. I've never seen a dessert table go unfinished in the media dining. Anyway, I digress. Um, the safeguards in place would basically mean that if the PIF wanted to invest more and pick up a, a higher percentage of, um, well, I guess not even board seats, but higher percentage of the company, say a controlling interest, uh, the PGA Tour would be able to essentially say no. They can decide on an a la carte basis whether they want to accept further investment. So that seems to be the vision. I think that maybe there will be, you know, this is, this is, none of this is set in stone by any means. This is just from talking to players who have, uh, you know, been somewhat briefed on the whole situation, but yeah, I think back about 18 months, maybe, um, 20 months, maybe to like October, November, right before, uh, live actually launched and said, Hey, we're going to do a bunch of this stuff. Now, this is this is eight months prior to Live London, the first event. This is uh, four or five months prior to uh, Phil Mickelson's scary mother effers quote. This is back in 2021. And I think about what I was writing and a lot of the questions that were being asked around the PGA Tour, and it was, how long are you guys going to be able to stay a not-profit, a non-profit? How long is that actually doable? You look across pro sports. The NFL was a non-profit. Not anymore. Other pro sports leagues were nonprofits. They did not last that long because there is going to be a pursuit of money, whether it's a pursuit that's attacking you or a pursuit from people within trying to get more and more and more. It's you're going to be moved down that path. And I think at some point, Jay Monahan realized that he could pull the ripcord. <laughs> like and you know, he, he did not want to leave the status quo, which was a nonprofit, extremely charitable, philanthropic enterprise. The status quo is good. We're not rocking the boat. But he knew that he could pull the ripcord at any point. And he was pressured into pulling the ripcord, be it through the lawsuits, be it through the Department of Justice investigation, be it through the money that was going to a different enterprise, like the private equity that was clearly somewhat available within this ecosystem. He could pull that ripcord and he did. Now <laughs> uh, it's going to be a rocky way to get there. Lawmakers are already putting up uh, barriers and investigations of all this stuff. It will not be clean, um, but much remains to be seen on that front. But for right now, you have to understand this as the commissioner of the PGA tour pulling the ripcord and saying, we're going to go into the for-profit space. We're going to align ourselves in ways that other pro sports have done. We're going to see how much money there really is in this thing. We've got a lot of it now, though. We've got a lot of it coming in now from the Saudis. If more private equity wants to arrive, the Saudis will have right of first refusal. I don't necessarily anticipate them refusing making this whole thing bigger. <laughs> Yasser is a massive golf fan, and uh, I think ultimately this would qualify as technical sports washing, but I think they eventually want to be down the line thanked. Like 
hey, there were rocky times, but we pushed this sport forward 10 years from now, 20 years from now. It was that Saudi investment that really helped make the PGA Tour better, helped make Phil Mickelson and Rory McIlroy be friends again um, and make pro golfers get paid like pro athletes do. Um, so that's kind of how I've started to look at it. Um, I talked to Joel Damon yesterday and, you know, Joel and I had a lot of conversations about it during the Scottish open. When I caddied for him last summer, we've had, we've talked a lot over the past 12 months. And, um, he just said, look, man, the simplest way that I can look at this whole thing right now with all these questions and all these, uh, imperfect details and rumors is just that it sounds like I am going to play on the most profitable, the, the, uh, the tour on which the best players are and a lot of money is going to exist. So I'm going to make good money if I play good golf. And that's the only way he cares to think about it at this point, which seems pretty healthy. Um, a lot of these guys are, are kind of queuing in on a very straightforward mindset. <laughs> they don't want to answer questions to hypotheticals. Uh, they kind of rarely do want to do that. But um, they don't really want to share opinions too much right now because they're afraid of a clip from the U.S. Open uh, press conference getting used against them in six weeks, six months, 16 months. Um, so it's been a weird week from that perspective, but we're moving on, right? We're moving on. I mean, some of this stuff is just going to drag out. First, we need to learn what the agreement looks like a little bit more. Um that framework agreement that people keep talking about. We need to then learn, you know, what the plan is for this antitrust stuff, how interested the Department of Justice is in pushing forward. Very. Uh, <laughs> we, we know how interested they are. Like that. I mean, that can't you can't just magic that away. Maybe we're going to see just how connected the PGA Tour is in like Washington is with lawmakers, is with congressmen. Um, there is precedent for PJ Tour executives going to Washington, D.C. and yeah. getting their way. I don't think Jay's letter to Congress necessarily did any favors on that. It, it didn't. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, should we talk about the U.S. Open? People might be listening and thinking, wow, the drop zone is out of its depth at this point. Well, I think that we're careful. I think we're. I think we're pretty self-aware about being out of our depth and, and maybe to the point where we are just going to not try to say anything too stupid. <laughs> uh, anyways, the U.S. Open, Los Angeles Country Club, uh, a golf course that I got a preview of, I guess, back in February, flying the drone around the place. Uh, a number of players got a, a preview of it that week, but this course is very different than it played in February. I was talking to Tommy Fleetwood today, and he said, you know, I don't even know if it was valuable for me to come here in February because the ground was wet, the grass was soft, um, and this week it is warm. It's a little bit breezy at this point. The fairways are really firm. The rough is thick in some spots, thin in others, uh, and you don't know if it jumps. You don't know if it kind of comes out flat. And so I would say it's a to this point it's a confusing golf course. Guys are certainly confused about how it's going to play. Um, and to that point, I'd say, hell yeah, right? Major championships should be confusing. Players return to Augusta National year after year after year and are thrilled when they find out something new every single year because it's a confusing golf course. Uh, and so that's why, that's why it's a major championship host. I want to buzz through some of the guys that talked – uh, to the media today and basically just 
I want you or me to tell our listeners something we learned from those people. Yeah. What do you say to that? Love it. Do you have someone you want to start with? Or do you want me to just feed you well, Colin best, Morikawa? No, the best presser of the day I think we can agree upon was Brooks Kepka. Do you agree with that? I do. I do. He was in – it was sort of like watching him on Sunday at the PGA. He just was kind of in control of his game. He He just – he was like, I'm in the position I want to be, and I'm just going to kind of keep keep the ball in the fairway, yep. hit the middle of the green, throw he, in a couple little zingers where I can. <laughs> yeah. Brooks, um, when he's mopey, gets really quiet. I think when he's maybe when he's not confident in where his game's at, he just kind of like won't say much. Yeah. But when he is confident with his game, he will say a lot. He will have zingers, as you say. Um, he acts like he has the player with the most chips at the table. And that's what I thought today was. Um, he kind of just likes to flex sometimes, which he's entitled to do because he has won five major championships. But he basically just says, look, look, I know how to win majors. I know how to play majors. I don't need to have played a tournament last week. I don't need to have a bunch of time off either. I am here to do this again. I made a mistake in Augusta. I promised myself I wouldn't make it again. I didn't make it at the PGA Championship, and I'm not going to make it ever again. So he is without a doubt a top five favorite this week. For some people, he might be favorite number one. Um, but I really liked his response to your question. It's funny. I was going to say I really liked his response to your question. <laughs> um, well, what did you ask him? Well, I asked him. I just wanted to point out. Hey, man, the last 12 months have been crazy for everyone, but they've been really crazy for you because if you go back a year, Kepka was finishing 55th at last year's U.S. Open, and then a couple days later was deciding to leave for live. He was a, a broken man uh, physically. He was a damaged man emotionally, and he said he feels like a new person yeah. now, which yeah. was, uh, was really striking, and... Yeah, he just said he came back too soon. Um, he should have given himself more time. But he also just talked about enjoying the chaos. And it's funny because some of these other guys that we'll talk about talked about, you know, how this has been sort of a distraction. Um, Kepka basically denied that. He said <laughs> he was essentially opting out. I think one of the reasons he is feeling so confident is because he feels like he's one of the people that has played this thing well. <laughs> I mean, he got healthy. He got really rich. Uh, he went and played for live for a while. He never went scorched earth on the people that stayed uh, or left. I guess he did burn some bridges on the way out, like behind the scenes. But I feel like a lot of that has been sort of forgiven. It's not like he was renting summer houses with these guys anyway. <laughs> But um, anyway, you asked him to clarify. Yeah, he loves that word, chaos. Chaos. He kept using it uh, and how he thrives within it. And he likes playing major championships and U.S. Opens because there's chaos. And he said, you know, he said the, the tournaments in his career where it's been a race to 23, 24, 25 under, he's really never thrived in. But when it's a battle to get to five or six under, then that's where Brooks Kepka thrives. So I asked him about the chaos. What does that even mean, dude? What is that? What is the visual of what that looks like? And he said, hmm, first thing that comes to mind is Shinnecock, where he won in 2018, the US Open, which was absolutely chaos, right? That was one of the first majors that you attended. 
if I think correctly, right? Yeah. Like, within their first five. Probably- one of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, one of my first few majors. And then, yeah, here's what he said. He said, everyone was bitching and complaining. I just felt like they were so focused on the golf course, they kind of forgot what was going on, that they were there to play a major championship instead of, okay, the greens are pretty fast. <laughs> but if you leave yourself an uphill putt, it's not that bad. It was so good. That, like that, that answer just nailed it because stop being bothered is what he's saying. Stop, stop being bothered it. about what you're seeing. You mental midgets. <laughs> That's kind of what I took away from that. Yeah. And you know what? That's what he's kind of been saying here and there for years. Um, he just lost the chips to really kind of reiterate it the last couple of years. Two missed cuts at the majors last year, two T55s. Um, well, and the fact that he capped chips. it off with, yeah, second place finish at the Masters which even now looks better because he's once again proven he can be a closer after the PGA. Uh, so that second looks like a, a a success, I guess, rather than he said it was some a, sort of failure. He was asked if, like, what's your favorite win of the yeah. five? And he said the, the most recent one. And um, for obvious reasons of the comeback. But let's move you know on. What he should Brooks. have said the next one. <laughs> next up. John Rom. Sure. Uh, let's see. What did we learn from John Rom? I think what we learned from Rom is that he understands why people would feel, I don't know, betrayed, I guess. I think he understands why he said he understood why they had to keep it so secret that they couldn't, you know, tell everyone beforehand and run it by everyone. Cause that's not how the world works. Um, but yeah, he said it's just not easy as a player that's been involved to wake up one one day and see this bombshell. And I think that gets to a bigger point in general about the reaction to this from the players is like they just were not kept in the loop. And yeah. as a result, they felt hurt. What did he say about the tournament this week? You tell me. <laughs> well, I guess what he said that stood out was he was asked by Bob Herrig like you've you've been incredible for 12 months now what tripped a trigger that has made you incredible and do you feel as incredible this week as you did during the masters and the truth is he just can't feel as confident as he was going into masters week because he hasn't like he hasn't played outstanding golf since um but he said he does actually feel as good as he was masters week which is a little bit scary. He looks very loose. And, you know, Dylan, when you were talking about Kepka and his ability to rise above the mental midgets, as you say, I was thinking that someone will win this week as the most unbothered person or the person who doesn't feel like they were ever exposed from the last, like, 12 months or so. John Rahm said a lot of stuff in the last 12 months, but he was never really exposed because... He was playing both sides really, really well. He was playing on the PGA Tour, pledging his fealty to the PGA Tour, but also saying a lot. I'm really good friends with Sergio. I'm really good friends with Phil Mickelson. There's a lot of good things that Liv has brought to the game and done for the game and is pushing forward for the game. So I am not outrightly like in in favor of, of a world in which that doesn't exist. And so I think he has to be in a, a really comfortable spot. He just has such command, too. Like, mm-hmm. when he sit th- sits in these pressers now, it really feels like he's holding court. Like, he is – he knows what questions are coming, and he feels 
comfortable saying what he believes. Yep. And that's got to be a good feeling. He also said that he thinks this course seems fun, which is a, something we've heard from a few different people. Uh, um, it's a little different. He talked about it, you know, there being some really hard holes and some birdie opportunities. We've heard that from a bunch of people too. Um, some that are just playing super long and then some that are little baby holes like the uh like the 15th the yeah that's gonna make it fantastic television so if you're listening to the the episode and just kind of curious about what you're going to get you're going to get a full-on breakdown of what makes good golf holes what makes half par holes what makes uh the sixth hole maybe the best hole out here i think the most intriguing hole i spent some time talking to people about the sixth hole today it is a drivable par four it is 330 yards on the scorecard. It plays about 275 to the front. Um, players are hitting soft drivers into the wind. Players are going to maybe hit five wood if it's downwind. They're going to launch it up over um, this tree. Or players are going to hit a seven iron. There's going to be so many clubs used off of that tee um, to this kind of snaking fairway that goes to essentially what a, a green that looks like a footprint from the sky. And it's tiny and it's going to be hard and there are going to be twos made on this hole and they're going to be sevens. That's what Brooks Kepka said. Um, you brought up Morikawa, his presser. Morikawa, when he showed up on property, he said, I think this is going to be a layup every single day, just trying to make par. And then he yanked his first layup into the rough. And suddenly didn't want to lay up anymore. Here comes Alan Shipnick. Shippy guest host. Yeah. Do you have anything to say? Yeah, anything to say about the future of golf? Um, yes. There's a new book out. It's gonna, <laughs> called uh, "Live and Let Die" by Simon Schuster. It's coming in October. I think all the answers are there. That, that book sounds like it's in flux right now. No, no. It's. I mean, the last few chapters are, but the book is rock solid. You're gonna love it. I'm excited for it. We'll see you later. Wow, we got truly nothing out of that appearance and gave up some free advertising. (laughs) Uh, But Morikawa, who said, you know, that sixth hole, that's just a layup, trying to make four fours, um, tugged his first layup, one of his first layups into the the rough during a practice round and suddenly is like, no, I actually think I might go for it now. So that's the kind of confusion, as I said earlier, that these guys are seeing. Um, They don't quite know how to approach every single hole because – Half pars, tricky holes, fun holes, as John Rahm said. Yeah, there's a lot of thinking going on. We've heard a lot about oh, the advantage of playing here in college or playing here in the Walker Cup. And we actually do have – it's kind of a reminder of, of how many of these guys have gone – have traveled similar paths to get here, that a bunch of the guys that talked to the media today do have that past experience. If you look at Scheffler, Holma, yeah. Cantlay um, – yeah, how about something we learned from from Max Homa? I he talked a bunch about his approach to this major. It's it's very it's one of these very meta things where it's like the media sort of asking the player how he's dealing with, <laughs> with the, media. the media. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. what's how, it like to deal he? with the pressure put on you by us, us <laughs> asking you about the pressure? Um and basically what he said is, well, you know, what I've done up to this point is I've tried way too hard at majors. So this one, I've been really conscious that I'm going to try too hard at. So maybe it'll work this time. And he said it'll be a good mental test. He said he tried to deal with all the 
potential distractions of, you know, here's uh, a ticket request I'm going to have to deal with. He's been working with his agent to figure that stuff out and just kind of funneled his friends um, to people that can be not distractions to him this week. And he said, look, if I haven't texted you back this week, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Uh, thinking about Max Homa reminds me of when I was young. And it was like entering high school, maybe middle of high school. I, uh, I got behind in, on my classwork because I was saying yes to all my friends. I didn't know how to say no. And um, my mom basically sat me down and was like, you suck at saying no. <laughs> and I wonder if Max Homa is becoming a big enough of a tour player where he might need to say no more frequently get better at saying no or if he can continue to be the extremely nice very genuine media savvy dude and also be the killer that we've seen in spurts that hasn't shown up at major championships he is fully aware of it it sounds like um but this being kind of his home turf there were of course multiple like big features on him this week because he says yes to a lot of people and um, I don't even know if this is a critique or anything. It's just like at some point you rise above being able to say yes to everybody. And he rose to become a top six player in the world. And um, I don't know. Like if, you if, think he he might if, he, if he doesn't play well, we might see a change in heart because looking across the, the ecosystem of the PGA Tour, there are a lot of people that are leaning into saying no. Rory is now saying no, Rory canceled his press conference. He was supposed to be the first one today, but Rory is tired of being the only talker. He's ready to let other people talk for the future of this thing. The rug was pulled out from under him, and he's now saying, no, I don't know if I need to do everything that I've been doing. I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to do, do something solely for me. Um, it's hard to say what is the best approach because to this point, Max Holm has won, what, six times? Being the super genuine self that he is. So I would say the best approach is that guys seem to do well when they're being themselves. And <laughs> for some of these guys being themselves invites more obligations and more media and yeah. more requests. And that's a harder thing to deal with. But you think Max might sit down with Connie Zock for like a little, <laughs> little I don't know if Connie Zock knows who Max Homa is, but <laughs> Uh, it would be great if she was said, Max, you suck at saying no. Um, anyone else that you learned anything from today that you want to discuss or you want to get straight into your well, special picks? You know, I had a fun time asking questions about what one of the things we always do when we go to a new golf course. It's like, what do you what do you think this place reminds you of? Where where does where does like looking down the first fairway make you think of in terms of other golf courses? And Fleetwood told me. I've never seen a, a golf course that's really like this. I've, I've got no clue. I've been racking my brain and I don't have an answer. Corey Connors said, eh, it kind of reminds me of Royal Melbourne. And then, yeah. then Mackenzie Hughes said, well, it kind of feels like if, you know, Chambers Bay and Pinehurst had a baby, that's what this would be. And those are two US Open courses. Um, but then Corey Connors' caddy was like, you know, the Riviera, uh, the rough is a lot like Riviera, but the rest of this is kind of like you'd be able to like piece it together in a cartoon cartoon golf which 
<laughs> found felt uh, a little crazy to me. I feel but even these more guys are having a, than when you started this description. These, these guys are having a really hard time picturing this. So I think there's going to be some struggles. That's kind of my point here. And people might teeter on the edge of complaining. Um, I'm excited to see what that means. And uh, especially for Tyrrell Hatton. Ooh. He'll probably complain. Yeah. In a decent Tyrrell, way. I mean, he's set up to play well this week. I haven't really seen him. Um, Patrick Cantlay was in full deposition mode. Yeah. That's kind of what I how I think of it today. A lot of a lot of one sentence answers. Uh let's see. I let me see if I can pull one up. Plenty of people have had opinions and comments on your major championship career. How would you describe it? Patrick Cantley said, Yeah, off to a slow start, I would say. I'm looking to improve that. <laughs> That's the Classic. full answer. Stuff like that. Um yeah. Does it feel like coming home to be out here? I assume you'll have more family and friends. It's definitely familiar. I'm definitely going to have a bunch of family and friends out this week. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, he is answering the question very much so. Anyway, he said it was too, er too early to have an opinion about um, the live stuff. There's no way that that's true. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. like all these guys, he and actually this would be my point. Uh, about Max Homa to what you're saying, he went out of his way to not, to acknowledge that he had a visceral reaction to it, but that he has basically put that in his cupboard with his cell phone and is kind of storing that away for later. Let's get to some odds, Dylan. Um, it's Tuesday night. The sun's going down on the East Coast. Plenty of light still over here in L.A. Um, but when you look at the odds list, for people who are going to be making some bets on Wednesday morning, we're going to make one person inside, uh, what, zero to 50 to one odds. Yep. We're going to choose one player from 50 to 100 to one odds, and then we're going to choose one player each beyond 100 to one odds. Let's start on the bottom. Outside of 100 to one, this is a guy who has spent a lot of time playing golf in California. He's going to have a raucous support. I'm talking about Sath Thigala, 110 to 1. Now, you might call me crazy because Sath is a zero-time PGA Tour winner. Um, I think he's a zero-time Corn Ferry Tour winner. He maybe hasn't won a tournament since college, but he won a lot of tournaments in college at Pepperdine and in terms of just people to look at he is without a doubt the best player outside of outside of 100 to 1 and uh there's something there the guy drives the ball pretty darn pretty darn uh good errant. long iron player yeah. in your in your uh if, if, defense and i think that that's there's some emphasis on that this week yeah i i just think uh I think there's going to be a breakthrough of a, of a person that we're not expecting this week. The major championships have been won by thoroughbreds in the past few years. And I think that that streak ends today or this week, I guess. Um, and Soth, he'll be, he'll be someone that's hanging around. Um, it's a bit of a stretch to say he'll, he'll win, but that's why we're at 100 to one. Yeah. In that same range, just outside 100 to one. I'm, I'm curious about Gary Woodland, U S open champ. 
there's been some back and forth about just how much emphasis there is on driving this week, how much of a bomber's paradise it's going to end up being. But yes. he's he's very consistently a good driver of the golf ball. Not to sound stupid and obvious, but it's really going to favor uh, guys that hit it long and straight and yes. keep it in the fairway. When he's going well, he does that. He missed the cut at the PGA Championship, which is partly what keeps his odds down here. Uh, but he is a really good long irons player. Some guys are going to have, you know, four and five iron approaches for him. Maybe that's a six or seven iron, but he's quite good at that. So that's my guy outside 100 to one. All Curious right. about Gary Woodland. Also a little bonus curiosity about Harris English. Um, but, you know, I don't want to give out curiosity. half the... I'm curious about Harris English yeah, and Cam well, Davis. You're curious about everybody. Uh, between 50 to one and 100 to one. Oh, you I, got. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with this whole idea, like I just said, of it being a first-time major winner and a bit of a surprise major winner. Um, Ricky Fowler Ooh. is at 50 to 1. And Ricky Fowler is someone that people don't like to believe in. People don't want to believe in him. At one point, he was the best player without a major. I think a lot of people want to believe in Ricky well, Fowler. It is polarizing. People want to not believe and people want to believe. And at one point in his life, he was the best player without a major. It was undoubtedly Ricky Fowler. And he is no longer the best player without a major. He's just a player without a major. <laughs> and uh, he's a player without a major that's playing fantastic golf. Data Golf ranks him in the top 20, I believe. Um, and he played really well at the Memorial. Now, this course could have some memorial-ishness to it, um, a course that's really, really firm. It's going to have really firm greens hitting into. So I like Ricky's chances. Yeah, I mean, that's a good call. I do think we're going to see, like, the California thing. I feel like that's that's not made up. There's going to be some some California kids that could potentially thrive here. I like, I like his vibes. Um Ooh, I'm stuck between two guys here, Sean, and one, you know, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the guy that I don't always pick because Keegan Bradley at 80 to 1 is just sort of screaming out to me. <laughs> but Wyndham Clark how quickly did we forget just took one missed cut at the PGA Championship for us to abandon Wyndham Clark. Mhm. What he needs to do is drive the ball well this week to have a chance. But it was just three starts ago that he won. He played pretty well at the Memorial, finished T12 there. Um, and he's a really good irons player, like a total flusher. So if he can get it in the fairway, I think at 80 to 1, he kind of presents quite a bit of value, uh, a lot of upside. Mm -hmm. All right. On to the horses. I'm not even choosing a horse. Okay. We have anywhere that's shorter than 50 to 1 odds. And I told you there will be a first time major winner this week. And that it might be a surprise. But if you were watching golf last week, then you won't be surprised. At 40 to 1, Tommy Ladd. Now, Man. this is such a homer pick. Such a homer pick. Sean, stop it. Yeah, he talked Please to the guy one it. time today, and all of a sudden. All I'm saying is that. The guy is hitting it mostly where he's pointing it. Um, there is a bit of a aspect of uh, unrest after what happened last week. Um, 
was in the running for the Canadian Open and didn't do it, lost to a 72-foot eagle putt. Um, but this, I mean, this is a guy who actually almost took Shinnecock away from Brooks Kepka and is not at that form, but he is trending toward it. Uh, he, Data Golf ranks him as the 16th best golfer in the world. So if you can get the 16th best golfer in the world at 40 to 1 odds, you know, that, that feels pretty solid value. And there's just something to to his abilities to be a ball striker, to be a, long, a great long iron player that it should favor him well here. Um, For sure, a, if he plays like he did last week, then yeah. hell yeah. There is not, like, it, it sounds hyperbolic, but there is not a better player, or there's not a f- person in the field more confident in their putting than, than Tommy right now. Finished first last week, absolutely rolling it. U.S. Opens can either become uh, equalized in the putting sense, where the greens are so ridiculous that no one no one puts them very well, or, you know, the best putter that playing that week that is also a good ball striker ends up winning. That's what Tommy was last week, and so uh, I like his chances this week. He said he really likes the golf course. He just doesn't know what kind of course to compare it to. There's something interesting with the tournament favorite Scotty Scheffler, and there's a world where the greens get really hard, and what's been lost in the last few weeks of him putting poorly is just how ridiculous his ball striking has been to get him in that position. So anyway, he has still been lag putting it pretty well. Um, if the greens get crispy, he could, are you picking him? No, no, no. I was just (laughs) saying that that's an interesting, like sort of way to think about it. Even though, even a guy that has been playing poorly, like, yeah, maybe he's got a chance. No, it's funny. I wanted to give out a a supplemental pick because I've, uh, (laughs) already made it clear that Xander Shoffley is someone I'm interested in. But instead, I'm just going to double down here on Xander Shoffley. Still going off somehow at 20 to 1, despite the drop zone on Sunday. Thought that would that would kind of move the line a little bit. The first time that you refuse to pick him to give him any love at a major, that might be when he's actually fully ready to no, do it. No, I tried that, I think, once last year, and it didn't have any effect. Look, he's the best U.S. Open golfer that we've seen the last this few is years. Not, undoubtedly true. Yeah, I mean, it, probably... Brooks Kepka, you would give the nod because he won two of them, but sure. Uh, but most consistent, he's a great long irons player. He's just like a, I mean, he's the best golfer in the world. So like, whatever, he's gonna win. It's finally, it seems like this is the place where it should happen. I think Xander's in a bit of unrest about this whole live thing. I think he feels confused uh, about it and more of a more let down maybe because. Those are riches he could have uh, taken. He could have played a bigger role in this whole thing. Um, so I don't see it happening kind of because of the timing ain't right. Um, how do you want to finish this, Sean? You want to just tell me something that you're excited about? Uh, I was excited to talk to Nick Taylor today. Oh, yeah. Our Canadian king. Um, it sounded like he did not get too hungover, too, too beat up, but uh, – just a shout out to the way Canadians are celebrating because I don't think they know how to celebrate. We had Adam Hadwin get absolutely steamrolled. Um, checked in on him today. He said, no bruises, no broken bones. He's all good. But we had that happen during the celebration. And then Mackenzie Hughes' caddy, Jace, was trying to surprise Nick Taylor's caddy, Dave uh, Markles. Tried to surprise Dave last night. Dave's arriving. He wants to... Uh, he wants to pop the, the cork with a little champagne upon his arrival. 
struggles to get the, the cork out and breaks a bottle of glass and then basically puts the bottle into his hand. Uh, and so Jace is playing extremely, caddying extremely hurt this week. Um, the Canadians need to work on their celebration, but you know, for the first time in 70 years, I think there's a lot of pent up excitement uh, and no one really knows what to do with the Canadian Open being won by a Canadian. What a great appetizer for the U.S. Open. Not to like be super diminutive about Canada, uh, but that's kind of the reality of the situation. So that worked out so well. Um, I'm excited for primetime golf. It feels like we are, we still have a Wednesday ahead of us, but I'm ready, ready oh. for this thing to start. This is, we kind of bury the lead here, but like Phil Mickelson hasn't been on the property yet this week. Is that right? I saw That's his people correct. today, but he, I did, he did not, not play him. golf here today. Did not play golf here Monday. He played a lot of golf here last week. Uh, apparently no one was here more in the lead up to hmm. the event than Phil Mickelson from people I've talked to. Um, and so we will see him whether he's what do wearing, you think he's doing, whether he's, he's probably just playing golf at Bel Air country club, Wilshire yeah. country club he's just in the area. Riviera. I mean, this, it reminds me of 2019 Pebble beach when, uh, yeah. Phil or Phil was spotted just down the road at Monterey peninsula, just like Cyprus. It was like him and this, this 70 something year old woman. And the two of them were just on the putting green together <laughs> or, or 2018 Shinnecock Phil's just out at, made stone and fisher's island it hasn't and, really worked <laughs> no that particular approach um so all right well should we just go play golf tomorrow and <laughs> no i'm excited i'm excited Thursday? to see phil and what kind of grin he's wearing where whether it's a cute polite grin or it's a shitting grin uh phil mickelson will make his appearance and you can find out more about that on golf.com undoubtedly thank you for listening uh, see you the rest of the week. Just not on here on golf.com. <laughs>